Welcome to episode one. I'm Chris Payne. And I'm Alex Winters, and you're listening to the Gig Stories podcast. So Chris and I are doing this podcast basically because of this year. We don't want to go on about it or really mention it going forward, but um, this wonderful pandemic that we've all been experiencing uh, prompted us to speak about how much we miss live music and and live gigs. Um, But actually, the first time we met Chris, if I'm not mistaken, was in the queue for a live gig is that right it was it was at the arena and it was elbow so i'm trying to think when that was that was probably about and that of course is is manchester arena because we're yes we're both in manchester um for elbow and that i love that gig because um i know we're both big fans of elbow but i just wasn't sure how they would go down in the arena. I've, I've never seen Alba play a bad gig, but I just thought it's too big. But they have this wonderful knack, uh, especially Guy, of making a large space seem like your front room, don't they? It was very intimate, and it was almost as if everyone in the crowd kind of, especially with the, the quieter songs, they kind of leant forward a little bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that that's kind exactly of, it. Yeah, they just kind of settled into it and went, okay. I feel safe. They're going to be good. Let's just, yeah. And it was like a massive, ten thousand seater living room. It was. Uh, they are just. They have a wonderful knack of doing that. Yeah, that was a great gig, and and that was the first time we physically met. But then you'd interviewed me because um, in in days gone past, I was a children's television presenter, and you interviewed me for uh, a magazine you were working for, and we spoke a lot about music. We couldn't really get past the music. I mean, the interview lasted about two hours. And, um, we mentioned Kids TV for five minutes and yeah. then... But anyway, what do you think of editors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on editors. They are just unbelievable. I just love them live. What a live band they are. No doubt we're going to mention them yeah. in the future. So tell us then, and, t- and tell me, to be honest, Chris... Live music, when when did it start for you and why is it so important in your life? Well, I grew up with music all around. Um, I, early memories are of my mum and dad having people around, putting records on, and my mum was a music teacher. A music? What kind of music teacher? Primary, primary music so she used to move around different primary schools and right, okay. teach singing. So she plays piano. She's got a beautiful singing voice. But she used to, you know, what you used to do when you were a kid at primary school. Oh, so it wasn't it, was, it wasn't just the one instrument that no, she was teaching? No, it was kind of um, songs. So she ran choirs. It would be getting the glockenspiel out and all that kind of this stuff. Sound, this sounds random, Chris, but was she, was she a, a gentle soul? Yeah. Teacher, because you say that, and at the age of five, I started playing the violin, and I had lessons in primary school, and do you know Gethin Jones, the presenter? Yeah. His, his mum 
his mum was my teacher and no lovely way. lass but she scared the life out of me and and partly because i just didn't practice yeah but also she was quite scary and when he was on strictly come dancing a few years ago she sat in the front row and i i had ptsd when i saw her. i was like oh my gosh i haven't practiced my chords <laughs> i'm not going to pass this grade and i loved it so so your your mum then so she she was going to primary schools and taught various instruments um well yeah but just it was just the 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 process of making sound really and right. making okay. so the, and there'd be a lot of percussion and a lot of rehearsals leading towards a Christmas concert or an end of term concert, that kind of thing. But um, I think around about Christmas time, it did come into its own. There was a lot of music around then. And so did that Did that ultimately sort of focus you on music as well? Did you then very quickly as a child, were you in the school concerts, playing yeah. live music, singing, I was. Dancing? I was in the choir. I was in the recorder group <laughs> yeah um and so i wanted to play the saxophone and so obviously as soon as i said that my mum said great we'll get your clarinet um so i was um you know a bit disappointed that i wasn't going to go straight in with the sax but because they say you have if you want to play sax you should learn clarinet first is that the old thing there's, yeah i mean there are lots of different i mean you could start on the sax and actually um, getting a note out of the saxophone, I would say, is a bit easier than getting a note out of the clarinet. Mm. But once you've mastered or become proficient on the clarinet, then the leap to saxophone is going to be a lot easier. And it did help. I mean, the fingering is different on a clarinet than it is to a, a, a saxophone. Yeah. But um, it's a, yeah, it's almost actually closer to a recorder, um, the, the saxophone. Oh, what a sound that that uh, I have memories of primary school because uh, both my sisters learned the recorder and uh, what an awful sound all, all of them together playing if it's played badly and if it's well, bad but. and then growing up one of my one of my favorites still now recorded uh, instrumental or instrument solos is on Boy with the Arab Strap by Bell and Sebastian yeah yeah, and, and which is a, I, I believe is a recorder. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I love it. it sounds great. And anyway, can you? When was the first time you then played live an instrument? It will have been the recorder, um, but um, properly an actual gig would have been <laughs> yes. with the um, the clarinet. And my mum was kind of she kind of helped set up this group in the borders and in, in Kelso where I'm from, this small town in the borders, um, which was called music makers. And it was a group of just kind of like-minded people who like to play music, like to sing, but there was no real outlet if you were an amateur. Um, so this thing, they met every month and they used to put a program together. People would just volunteer mm. and say, yeah, I'll, I'll play a tune. I'll, I'll, and people would collaborate and and so you would have um, some amazing people, some that were really ropey, but the point was that they were making music. They were music makers. And how old were you? Oh, well, that was set up in the 70s. So I probably started going as lo uh, you know as soon as I could be trusted to sit without, you know, tearing around oh, so the really, place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, probably five, six, something like that. So did, was, well, I don't want to put words into your mouth, was being at live music and participating in that way, 
Was that something that you just loved or was it just something you did? Yeah, there was a real buzz. Oh, there was? Yeah, okay. absolutely. I, I, it was never something that I had to be forced into doing. Mm. Um, and even now, I, I, when I perform, the nerves that I get, I know are going to help. Um, yeah. The yeah. best gigs I've ever played have been A, when I've been really nervous, yeah. or B, when I've been really hungover. <laughs> So I yes it's the, and so th- that same feeling you had then playing was that the same feeling you got when you started going to gigs as you know a teen and and whatever go and see bands was that that same pass uh, no actually no no because I suppose it would be that kind of um, analogy of being a but you know somebody in the in the crowd at a football match okay. or being a player yeah um, you can't influence what's going on you just have to kind of let yourself go and just be and just experience it and uh yeah two completely different things but one thing i would say so i'm i'm a photographer and gig photography gives me the same kind of buzz as i used to get um or when i play now as a sax player really yeah because with, with with gig photography it's um generally unless you've been hired by the band it's generally three. The, the 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 phrase is three songs, no flash. First three yeah. songs, no flash, and so you've got three songs to get the shots. And you know if it, and if it's a, a, a sometimes it'll change and it might be the first two songs if the first song is eight minutes long. Yeah, but generally it'll be three songs, no flash, and so you, you, there is that pressure. And it, yeah, I, I love that kind of um, you know that enforced kind of. You need to you need to perform. You need to get it right. It's funny because I I'm quite different to you because you you are musically talented. Where I pretend to play the bass, and I always wanted to be musically talented. Now it doesn't matter why I sort of wasn't, but I could sing. And as a kid, you know, <laughs> my first gig. Now, you know, I grew up singing, and before <laughs> before teenage years and puberty. Um, I had a lovely choir boy voice and you could catch me in St. Peter's Church in Cardiff singing oh. We're Walking in the Air and various Bless like things, you. you know. But I think those things, and even playing the violin, I'd got gotten to a point where I was too scared to give up, but I loved the performance side of it. Mm. I mean, I was playing all the, all the wrong notes. Well, no, all the right notes, but... Not in the in, right order. Exactly. Yeah. And I think for me, it was more the performance side because, you know, I, I like to... I like to show off on stage and stuff um but but even now as a as a aging middle-aged man i'm happy to stay to to say i still air guitar i still sing in any room that i'm in and i want to be a lead man i was going to say bono because as a kid that's i just wanted to be bono and i'll just i am still like that if i was suddenly blessed with a voice ah oh, I'd be I'd be in a band, you yeah. know. Yeah. But and so f- for me, I was surrounded by music growing up. We were called the Von Trapp family because we were all singing, dancing. We play various instruments. And my, I mean, my sisters particularly are talented musicians. And my, um, uh, one of my sisters now still sings in a um, a fantastic choir, well renowned choir in in Cardiff, um, and was a great violinist. Uh, my other sister plays piano. So surrounded by music. So whether I wanted to like it or not, yeah. you know, I grew up performing and being 
around live music. And I grew up in a very strict sort of religious upbringing. Mm. Um, and as I got older, I felt that live music for me, music was such a passion for me, and live music for me became uh, compulsory. It was an outlet for me because I had conflicting ideas going on, on in my head. And the place in which I felt myself the most and mental freedom, maybe physical freedom, was always a bit of a dancer, jump around, was at a gig. Mm. And I, I found that out pretty quickly. Yeah. And so for me, gigs, I had to go to gigs. And, and this was in Cardiff? Yeah, 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 growing up in Cardiff. Uh, and I had to go, and I just had to go, and it was a it was a refuge for me. And even even now, you know, as you you know, I still go to festivals each year, and I go to lots of live music. It's still an outlet for me, even though my life has changed, and I'm not, um, you know, I don't have that uh, religious setting at home uh, with my family. But it's still an outlet for me. So mm. it was really, you know, it was really important. Yeah. Anyway, that's that, that's a little bit about our musical history and our and our upbringings, and we're going to be speaking about things like that going forward in future episodes with guests, very special guests, um, and we're excited for you to to hear those chats. But also, we will have various features where we'll be talking with our guests and each other about our gigs and experiences and regular features, including Ticket Stub, because both of us, we found out very quickly, Chris and I, we're geeks and we both have <laughs> scrapbooks full of Ticket Stubs. Um, and so we'll be sharing some of those. Uh, FOMO, oh, yeah, because we're God. so down with the kids. We're so down with the kids, Chris. Fear of missing out. And we want to know what gigs we've missed out on. So, and also, what are we missing out on now? Um, because we both like to listen to new music. And so hopefully we'll be listening to some younger voices tell us mm. as well who who we should be seeing live at the moment. Also, guilt-free pleasures. And um, this week in gig history or... Gigstery. Alex. Come on, it's going to happen. So you just better get comfortable with it. Chris, okay. You know. Seriously, so this, <laughs> we could maybe change the name of that in future episodes, or is because you've just said it, that means it's stu stuck in stone, yeah? Look, we can change all the names to all of them, but I'm just going to call them all Gigstery. So, <laughs> first, okay. awesome. I want to ask you, because it's going to go into our first feature on this. Uh, on this episode because this episode is about you and I and then future episodes it's mainly about the guests hey ticket stub but leading into ticket stub because I want to know what your first ticket is that you have but I want to ask you Chris what do you class as your first gig we've both spoken about how we've grown up with concerts performing in concert schools but come on, we're both big music aficionados, big fans of music. What do you class as your first gig? Well, I don't know. I mean, you've got 
the first ones that your parents took you to. You've got first ones that you went to maybe with parents and friends, you know, and their parents. And um, I mean, I would probably class my first gig as a jazz gig if we're discounting the classical ones that maybe we got dragged along to as eight-year-olds okay so you you were taken to classical concerts yeah Yeah, me me too loads of them string quartets you name it if the um scottish national orchestra came to wherever came to our town or whatever we'd we'd go um yeah me too my mum was good like that she'd 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 snap up the the cheap tickets up in the gods in saint david's hall which was our classical hall in in cardiff where where would you be going um so in kelso the main hall was called the tate hall and kelso is is where exactly it is in the scottish borders so only about six miles from the border from um, oh, right. so Coldstream is right on the border, and right. Kelso is um, is about six miles, five miles away from that, and so quite close to Berwick upon Tweed. Right, that, that kind, side. So east, okay. east side. Yeah, um, but very rural. So the closest city is Edinburgh. Right. So if we if I wanted to go to a big gig, it would have to be Edinburgh or Glasgow. Okay. So what so what do you think then was your what do you class as your first Cool gig. Cool gig. Okay. Or, or... Well, I was into jazz and I was a sax, so I was a sax player, still am yeah. a sax player. And so when I was learning the sax, um, there was a documentary on the telly. I think it was only on in Scot- in, uh, on BBC Scotland. And it was about this sax player called Tommy Smith, who um, is a phenomenal sax player. But he was really young. He was probably 18, 19. And he was from a council estate called um housing estate called Wester Hills, which is well, it was pretty rough back in the late eighties. Yeah. But anyway, he was phenomenal, you know, outstanding. And he got a scholarship to uh, Berkeley School of Music in America to study jazz. And it uh, this documentary just kind of documented his his progress, him you know, getting ready to go to Berkeley, some of the time he spent there. And when he came back to Scotland um, he released an album in 1988-89 called Step by Step and that blew me away because it was somebody who was not from a different generation. Tommy's probably seven seven years older than me. Right, so, okay. So yeah, kind of, um, it was it was achievable. It was, um, uh, it was something that I could kind of get to grips with in my head, you know, because before I'd been listening to jazz and it was all these... American guys from the fifties and sixties, but yeah. this was somebody from um, forty miles away. Yeah, yeah. And so he brought his quartet to uh, the Volunteer Hall in Gala <laughs> Shields, which is about twenty-five minutes away from Kelso in the borders. Right. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic because it was, you know, tunes from the album, and they did a, co- a couple of covers. They did a cover of the Flintstones, which was. Obviously, fantastic, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and yeah. So, and that was it. And I, 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 I've probably seen Tommy play more than any other jazz musician. I just adored it and kind of followed his career certainly for for the first five or six years. And is that also the first ticket that you have? It is. It's right. a, actually, I've got my my so little folder here. I'm just going to have a little. He's got his scrapbook, and I think what we'll do is take a picture and and uh, put a link. 
uh, put a link for you all. Yeah. So what is the very first ticket that so you have? Tommy Smith Quartet at the Volunteer Hall in Gala Shields, Friday the 9th of June, 1989. It cost me £3. <laughs> and, um, I love that. And I've just noticed, the t- you know, at the bottom of the, t- of the tickets, it says what number it was. Yeah, yeah, what number you are. Five. No! <laughs> I was I was early. Yeah. <laughs> Were there only six of you at the end? Well, I think, I think everyone was there on the back on the strength of the, uh, the, the documentary. But yeah, I, 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 love I was that. the fifth person to buy a ticket for that. I love that. So yeah, we're, yeah we'll we'll post these uh, we'll post these tickets, and we're hoping as well that some of our future guests will also have. I really hope that it's not just you and I. No, I <laughs> we'll have the tick. We'll have some anyway, because I'll be honest, my ticket stubs sort of end in the two thousands. In my adult years, I've sort of not really held on to many of the stubs. So I'd yeah. be interested to see how many of our guests have them. So Tommy Smith Quartet, yeah. I love that. Mine is um, mine's a bit different. Like yourself, I was very I was very lucky. My mum mainly um, uh, took us to uh, live music, whether that was like yourself or orchestra, as I've said, or opera. Or but my first gig. Now I had to check on this. Mm-hmm. I had to double check which my which which one was my first gig, and it because I've got both ticket stubs. Yeah. But I thought, oh, let me have a look. Now I can't, um, I can't physically check at the moment because sadly my scrapbook is in my mother's attic in Cardiff, and because of wonderful restrictions, I can't travel there. So who knows when I'll be able to get my uh, my book? But I do remember. Now it was a few years after yours, and it's the fifth of August, nineteen ninety two. My first gig and first ticket stub is Michael Jackson at the Cardiff <laughs> Cardiff Arms Park or the International Stadium or it's now called oh, I don't even know what it's called anymore but most people know it's the Millennium Stadium Michael Jackson the Dangerous Tour and and do you want to know what I wasn't sure I wasn't sure if it was that or if it was a gig at Newport Centre and you're going to hear that a lot from me because I spent a lot of my time at gigs in Newport yeah. Centre which is a leisure centre, by the way. It was just in the sports hall. And I've had some of my best gigs ever in that hall. And I wasn't sure if it was Michael Jackson or if it was the shaman. Get in. <laughs> you're Scottish, your country mates there, oh, Chris. Absolutely. I can move, move, move. Love every it. Ma- and that was actually two months later, the shaman. So I, I, I went straight from Michael Jackson at the stadium to the shaman at the leisure centre. Amazing. Right. Amazing. Well, my, my first stadium <laughs> gig, I've just, it was the same year. Was it? Uh, it was 92. Yeah. Uh, I've just been checking my records. <laughs> let me just uh, let me just have another. Geek. I love it. God, let so me you, just see. You, so yeah, Tuesday the third of March, nineteen ninety-two. Okay. Um, and this was at the SCCC in Glasgow. Now is that's the big arena? Yeah. Is the SCCC yeah. the big arena? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton. So it was just after um, he had done. 24 nights at the Albert Hall. Good grief. And, um, yeah, and I was I was massively into Eric Clapton at the time. So I went to that with my dad. Um, so, again, I don't know if that counts because I went with my dad. I didn't go with mates. I didn't go and have a few beers. And, uh, you know, I, I went with my dad. So um, I think 
at That's a later okay, date. We'll, we'll talk yeah, about yeah, our yeah, first yeah. proper proper yeah, lads because, going out. Because and... Michael Jackson was with my was with my sisters. Yeah. But I tell you what, I what I do remember was that the build up and the lead up, which I I still have for gigs. I remember how excited I was, and the whole day, you know, going into town, getting there early, experiencing the atmosphere. The vibe now i know it's a, a huge gig but i still love to do that mm. but even at small venues i was always one of those sadders i'd like to get there early i like to take in the atmosphere I, this I is just why i wanted to do this 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 podcast because you know you you can put an album on and listen to a band's music mm. and that's great and it but it's a completely different experience but going to a gig and listening to them play live it isn't just about the music it's about all these other some of them are quite intangible um you, things that just yes. make it good yes and it can be about the music that plays before the band comes on it can be about who you're with it could be um the the venue itself and uh, it's there's so many different things and that's it. something that i want to speak to uh, our future guests about it's kind of trying to boil it down or maybe broaden it out what does what makes a good gig great what makes a good gig bad what elevates it what can take away and um i'm interested to kind of get to the nub of it and by the end of this podcast in 2054 (laughs) um we will have an answer we will have all of the answers. I'm, I'm not sure we will. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll have forgotten what the question yeah, is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll just be rambling on. No one will be listening. We'll yeah. just be us with the microphone. We won't have even switched the microphone on. <laughs> no, we won't know how to. <laughs> so, so there's our first gigs. So Tommy Smith yeah. and Michael Jackson. Although I should just say that I checked the date and my first gig actually should have been the Happy Mondays on the Yes Please oh. Tour at Newport Centre, which was before Michael Jackson. But me and my mate were going, and our mums would only let us go um, with my friend's older brother. But he went out, got drunk, and that was it. Oh, so we didn't go. So it should have been harsh. Happy Mondays. Yeah, I know. That but, you is know. Harsh. Right then, we're going to move on to the quick fire round. This should be interesting. I can't quick fire anything. <clears throat> so, Chris, last gig. The last gig I went to. Last gig you went to? Uh, it was Metronomy. Ah, oh, Metronomy. Metronomy at Manchester Academy. And now, that now had... were you there as a photographer or punter? I was there both, really. Okay, so okay. I was there. Um, so I, as a photographer, I had an exhibition last year, which was um, a project where I interviewed and photographed drummers based on their reminiscences about... Um, their early years of drumming, what they practiced on before they had a kit, all that kind of thing. And Anna Pryor from Metronomy was one of the drummers that I, I interviewed and then subsequently photographed. Brilliant. And um, and I knew some of their work before I um, spoke to her, but then I started listening to more and more and more. And the gig was absolutely brilliant. It was probably yeah. my favourite gig of last year, just nice. because... The music that I was used to from them was, I'd always found it a little bit cold. I liked it, but it always felt like it was quite clinical and quite kind of, you know, the, the not soulless, but it was, it, it, I loved what they did, but it was different to a lot of bands that I'd been listening to. Yeah. But the gig at the Academy, 
was fantastic and it was it was um joyful and funny and yeah and just full of life it was great it's it's funny because you re- you've sort of referenced it already i love the difference um often there is no difference and we'll talk about that as well from listening to a band on record to then how they are live yeah. You know, and, and for me, one of the biggest examples in my life, because as you know, I'm a huge Manic Street Preachers fan. And on record, you know, they're, they're these punks from the valleys. On record, from the very first uh, album, is so produced, overproduced, 50,000 layers of guitars, it's mm. and strings and beautiful. And then you saw them live. Ah, oh, yeah. bloody hell. They literally smacked you in the in the stomach, just it was the most punk rock thing ever yeah. and it was just brilliant and but yet so different to how it was on record and that's i love that you sort of you mentioned that about you know metronomy and how how live a band sounds so different and it sounds obvious but you do mm. you get different vibes and yeah. I, I love that i love that okay well uh, my last gig was in february just before the lockdown so glad i got to uh, a gig before uh, lockdown, and it was at the Deaf Institute, and it was a band called Apray, A-P-R-E. Oh, and I love this band. Uh, newish band, they've been around for a couple of years, few years, uh, and I've seen them uh, a couple of couple of venues a few times now. Uh, they played the um, BBC Radio One Introducing Stage at Glastonbury last yeah. year, and they uh, they've played Jimmy's in in town in Manchester. Fantastic band. That was my last uh, last gig. In fact, their last single. Um, oh, and I can't remember the name of it. This is awful. I'll put a link at the end of the podcast. Um, they recorded the video for it on that tour, and you can actually you can actually see me in the video. You can see me and my wife in the video, and uh, we're sort of on the edge of. It's not quite a mosh pit because they're not quite that band, but yeah. The audience, it's like they knew what was coming in the coming months. They just went crazy and it was brilliant. It was just, oh, it was just so invigorating. I love it. So, uh, loudest gig. Loudest gig? Oh, it depends what you mean by loud i know it's kind of binary it's either loud or it's not but Go on. um that you know was gosh that was, was loud. a band that i photographed i think it was uh, i think i photographed them for the skinny magazine and it was a band called swans uh kind of american rockers very very dark yeah very heavy and that was that was pretty pretty loud um Another one was, um, for a different reason, was um, Lee Scratch Perry at the Band oh, on the Wall. His sound system. Sound system <laughs> just, it, it, it made my stomach... Um, yeah, f- fillings were rattling in my in yeah. our mouth. Um, it was something else. Um, but the actual loudest gig, and it wasn't because of the music that was coming out, it was... So at the start, when I started photographing gigs, I wanted to photograph all different kinds of music. And, um, you know, I wasn't being snobby about it. Like, let's just do that and see what that's like. Of course. Gary Barlow at the Manchester Arena. 
hilarious. And it wasn't the sound that um, Gary was making on on stage. It was the huh? crowd. Oh. It was the crowd. <laughs> the crowd. Yeah. So average age was about fifty five. <laughs> mainly women and honestly just migraine inducing yeah yeah just going out between two yeah gary barlow mate gary barlow i i know what you mean the screams i've been i've seen little mix (laughs) the screams the screams i've seen little mix live and cool that was similar yeah my loudest gig um it's a close call because like you you sort of have different volumes don't you uh, and i've seen pantera and sepultura and that was loud but actually i think left field mm. on their left at the first leftism tour in cardiff university which is sort of partly famous because i think there was two venues on that tour including uh, cardiff university great hall where i saw them the ceiling was crumbling it was so loud and those tiles were actually crumbling it crumbling was just purely through dance oh, yeah uh, just the the noise yeah. was unbelievable, and that that was what a gig that was. But left field, oh my gosh, that was loud. And I'll be honest, the prodigy, almost every time I've ever seen them, that pushes it as well. Yeah, the, the, not just the the sort of individual bass and travel levels, but the, just the overall volume. Oh, well, when I'm when I'm photographing now, incredible. I will always wear earplugs, ear protection, oh, yes. and I know many many a lot. Of the drummers that I interviewed actually, a lot of them have got continual, you know, the tinnitus yeah, going on. Awful. So it's, but actually, I think you can hear it a little bit better anyway with the yeah the, when you the protect your ears. Um, Chris, so. use protection. <laughs> okay, this we're useless at quick fire. Good grief! Yeah, uh, wow. and that's me. Um, two more in the quick fire round. Uh, very quickly, fave venue, favorite venue. So for me, um, it. it, it I love the Apollo in Manchester. Mm. I remember going to it for the first time. I can't remember if it was to see the Mondays, Happy Mondays, or Bjork, which was just incredible. Oh, the Apollo, wow. Yeah, the Apollo. But actually, it's got to be back home in Cardiff, Club Ivo Bach, or the Welsh Club. Okay. Um, just incredible. Small small venue, a couple of hundred, perhaps, if that. Right. And I've, I've seen everyone there from bands that went on to big things um like the strokes saw them there and also bands that you know you may not have heard of you know local bands it was just i love it and it luckily it, it struggled in the past year or so but it's been saved so yeah. club Bach, what's your favorite venue um so the majority of my early music going gig going um took place in glasgow and so a couple in glasgow um, so King Tut's Wawa Hut, probably yes. about the same size as the well. I'm going to say the Welsh Club. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. I'll, I'll learn how to say yeah. it in Welsh. Club, club. Um, also, the garage um, oh, because yes, I went. Yes. I was there so often, but it has to be Glasgow Barrowlands. The Barrowlands, loved oh, it. Man. I've seen so many bands there, from James to Radiohead to Morrissey to Stone Roses. Um, but I, uh, I was an extra for Taggart. In an episode, of course, because you're so, Scottish, and so you there, have to. There was a murder, a mur- <laughs> a mur- a literal murder on the dance floor, <laughs> um, and I was a policeman uh, oh, in an God. ill-fitting uniform. Brilliant, yeah, and uh, and also a couple of years ago, I photographed there for the first time, and so that was a bit special, being able to you oh, know man. be in the, the, the dressing rooms and. Photograph it when there was nobody else in the building apart from the band and the, the crew. It's, 
Do you know, it's funny actually because a lot of bands, including you know my beloved Mannix, all say that the Barrowlands is one of their favourite venues. Yeah, and they and I think the only reason I don't know maybe the Mannix have outrightly said it is their favourite, but maybe they haven't, and they're only saying that because. Uh, they're in a Welsh venue, and so they have to go. Uh, it's probably somewhere in Wales, but actually, I'm, I'm sure they've said that Barrowlands is their favourite, and other bands have said that mm. they just love love the Barrowlands. Yeah. Now, I, do you know what? We're we're hoping going forwards that another feature will be Chris and I actually going to live gigs and, and reviewing them, Get but to. going to venues and crossing off venues that we've not been to, and. It would be good if we could start at each other's favourite venue. So we'll go to the Barrowlands together because I've never managed to get and there. And the Garage and King Tut's. Yes. Yeah. All, all in one night. Yes, all in one night. <laughs> and I will take you to Club Evil Bar. Okay. So uh, last of the quick fire rounds. And I will make it quick. Worst gig. Now, for me, this breaks my heart because I wanted to see this band more than anything. And it was Sugar. No. And I love Sugar. And it was the worst gig because the sound was diabolical. You couldn't hear Moldy Bob. You just couldn't hear anything clearly. It was really loud, but you couldn't pick it. It was... Oh, it was terrible. And my friends and I just wanted to cry because we'd been waiting so long. Well, and this just... is another thing. This oh. is another way that a, a good gig can be made bad. It's just, You know, if the sound is awful, yeah, kills it. Absolutely kills uh, it. Absolutely. Because there's no way you can get around that. You can't, you know, you can't forgive it. You can't, you know, if the singer's not on form, there are going to be moments in those tunes where the singer isn't singing. And you can kind of... Yes. Or they, they might not be heard above the crowd singing. And, 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 I, and I remember staring at the guy on the mixing desk going, you know, I'm a teenager, but mate, this this is not sounding right. What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Because this is utter cack, yeah. you know, but... So what's, what's your worst gig? Well, it, again, it's about the sound, oh, but but also I'm going to go right in there, straight in go there. On. Go Stone on. Stone Roses. <laughs> oh, Stone Roses at the at Etihad. The Etihad. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible sound. Yeah, but the, the thing is that Public Enemies sound... I know they were looking for different things from the the, the, the sound desk. Um, you know, it's a completely different sound that they, of they, course. they have. But Public Enemy were great. Yeah, they they were I, I, I love them. One of my favourite bands of all time. And that, that was really exciting. But Ian wasn't on form at all. I mean, I know it, his... Amazing performances are like hen's teeth, but I I have seen them before and he was okay. He was good, mm. um, but at the Etihad, oh my god, it was bad. Sound. I think, yeah, yeah. I I just and also I I mean I, I think I I do prefer their first album, but there are tunes from Second Coming which I absolutely adore, and they didn't play them. And I'm not one of those. We well, didn't play the ones I like, but they're they're such. When you've only got two albums, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and basically, I think they played, um, they played love spreads, love spreads. Um, but there was no ten story love song. There was, um, yeah, it just it it made me annoyed. It made me annoyed. We're going to stop there because no one likes an annoyed Chris. That's awful. No, but you mentioned Stone Roses and ah ha ha. Look at you and your your convenient segues, because that takes us in to 
the next feature this week in Gigstery. Oh, oh come on. It's going to work. You will <laughs> like it. All right. This week in history. This week in gigs. Come on. Right. So this time, how many years ago? 25 years ago. I'm just, oh. I'm just consulting my, uh, <laughs> He's my, got my the book. Scrapbook. Yeah. He's got the scrapbook out. Yeah, my book of scrap. Now, we're recording this in December yep. of 2020, and it it covered, I, I mean, it covered a few weeks in Britain, um, at least two weeks, and it was the Stone Roses, wasn't it? Yeah. And you and I were both, uh, were both at the Second Coming tour. Yeah. And I was at Newport Leisure Centre, um, and I just managed to get there, Chris, because I just couldn't get tickets. This was the old days where you had to do it the old way, either over the phone or queue up. And I missed out and I, I was mortified. But there's a famous tout in Cardiff, Billy. Billy the tout, got curly hair and he'll sell anything. Curly Billy. Oh, curly Billy. Yeah. Burly Killy. And um, I had to meet him in the Fairwater pub car park. And cash, <laughs> it sounds, sounds dodgy cash, already. It is. Cash was handed over and I got the two tickets. And they are lovely tickets, by the way. I've still got my ticket, and it has got the cherubim, which was stolen from Newport over and over. Um, and and what a gig! Again, another famous gig, actually, mm. because um, we were all having a lovely time in Newport Ledge Centre, all getting on great. Yeah, we're all Welsh together. All in your trunks, exactly. All in our trunks, <laughs> bathers, as we call them. And and someone threw a t-shirt on, and that's all right, isn't it? And then Ian Brown put that t-shirt on. And it was a Cardiff City Football Club top, Chris. But oh. is that not quite close to Newport? Uh, yeah, but let's put your football head on because all of a sudden the crowd split into Swansea and Cardiff. Oh, and it God. was a nightmare. And I remember at the end of the gig, they actually had to close the doors because outside was a riot. And I was fearing for my life. It was, really? but oh, it was bedlam. Bedlam. And, because you know, of a t shirt. Because. Brown put the Cardiff City t-shirt on. Oh, and because was, humans are could, idiots. Yes, that's yeah. right. But it was, a, it was a good gig. And I think if you remember on that tour, sadly, we lost, before that tour, we lost Rennie, didn't we, on drums? Yeah. He wasn't there. It was, he was uh, replaced by Danny Maddox, I believe. But Squire was with them. Yeah, Squire, um, Manny, and of course, Ian Brown. And you saw, it was, I saw them, it would have been last week. Or the week before, yeah. uh, a new college centre. But you'd have seen them Wednesday, this week. the 20th of December. I saw, and I'm looking at the ticket number, and it was 1,841. <laughs> I, I still look so, at my ticket numbers as yeah. well. So sad. Yeah. And where was where did you see them? Uh, that was at the Barrowlands. The Barrowlands. No support. Yeah, they, I don't think they had support on any of the tour. No. And they didn't come on early either. No. They, they kept us waiting for almost two hours, I think. In fact, doors may have opened. To, what does it say on there? Does it say on the ticket what time doors were? Um, seven? Doors open at seven. Yeah. But yeah, they probably... They weren't on till after nine. No. Um, £12.50. £12.50? Yeah. I paid uh, £35 for each ticket. Really? I paid £70 yeah, wow. for two tickets. Had to be there. Had no, to be absolutely. there. absolutely. Uh, great tour and... And actually, where we're recording, we're in sight, sound, say what you will, of Heaton Park, where they had their wonderful, you know, weekend of reunion gigs here in Manchester. Mm-hmm. But we can talk about that again. We need to bring this, bring this all to a close. And 
live music. We've been talking about going to live gigs, Chris, but we've both acknowledged as well that we both like listening to you know recorded live music, I live do like albums. A good live album. What yeah. what what are some of your favourites, or what have been some of your staples over the years? Um, obviously, Rank by the Smiths. Yeah, uh, I was yes. a big Smiths and Morrissey fan, so Beethoven was deaf. Um, was a big favourite of mine as well. Yeah. But when I was about 16, me and my mate Beefy... Beefy! Beefy. Go on, Beefy. We had a dealer. <laughs> by mail. Right? So we had a, <laughs> we had this guy, and um, I was in contact with, with Beefy last week, actually. And Hello, he's, Beefy. He's going to look out. He's going to look out one of these... Um, well, he seems to think that he's got cassettes left. So um, you used to pay a, a little bit of money, like 50 pence or something, yeah. to this guy, and he would send you an A4 a sheets of paper with list of gigs, um, live, no bootleg. Brilliant. And I can't remember if there was a grading system, if some were five stars, meaning they were great recordings. I think it was a bit hit and miss. You just And you paid like three, four quid per cassette. Yeah. And I can't remember if they gave a track list then. I think I think you just had to go. That's the gig. That's the band. I'll I'll give it a, give it a shot. And so we we would end up buying um, cassettes to gigs that we'd been to, or maybe gigs on that tour. And some of the recordings were shocking. Oh, absolutely uh, shocking! Yeah. Some of them were really good, and it was yeah, just yeah, this yeah. kind of. Um, yeah, there was there was. A, I don't know if people had them in their pockets or if they had. Because you didn't have a phone to record on. It, that was definitely a thing because music fans all over the country, and it and it it crossed over genres as well. Because mm. you know, friends of mine who were heavily into the rave scene and stuff, they were getting mixtapes, you know, pirate copies of mixtapes and of, yeah. of of raves they'd been to, and and we would go. I would go to. I mentioned it earlier. It's uh, called St David's Hall, classical mm. hall in uh, Cardiff, but they would have a record fair once a month yeah. and at this record fair there was a stand where it was all um tapes of live gigs and it was generally the music and uh, the gigs that i was going to you know and i pick up a a, a manix concert or i yeah it, i mean obviously I, piracy cannot be condoned apps I, I i never once have i condoned it no i bought the tapes but I, <laughs> I didn't condone it <laughs> and, but i mean when you're 16 you've got no oh, concept on. of you know, yeah, I mean... I was recording live gigs from the radio. I remember Johnny Walker covering um, U2, the Zeropa, the Zoo TV tour, the yeah. stadium tour, and it was um, uh, from... It was the Dublin, or the RDS Stadium, I think it was called, something like that. I remember recording that and having to yeah. get a second tape ready because it was too long. Quick, yeah, swap, yeah. swap over. Yeah. And no, I did the same. I, I think seem to remember Radio 1 did some live gigs from Sheffield Leadmill. And mm. that that must have been about ninety one, ninety two, and so I was well into Lemonheads. So Lemonheads oh, played yeah. there, and I, I recorded that, and also Kingmaker. Do you remember Kingmaker? Kingmaker yes. I mean, I couldn't whistle your tune just now, but if one came <laughs> on, I'd be up. I mean, oh, honestly, yeah. they were they were belting. They should have been bigger. Um, but yeah, Kingmaker and, and Lemonheads. That was where I was around about ninety one, ninety two. I think it's funny. I love that because I, you know, and I still. So you know, walking back and forth to school. I would still be listening to live music as well. Yeah. If it wasn't some friendly, which 
I, I think I played every day through my teenage mm. life. Um, I was listening to a copy of the Manic Set at Milton Keynes Bowl when they supported Bon Jovi. Wow. And I knew, I still know the the little sort of ad-lib noodles that James Dean Bradfield did on, on each song. And, and funnily enough, when I did um, <clears throat> Celebrity Mastermind, the Manics were my... Um, my chosen subject and they asked me a question and as soon as he st- started the question i was like oh he's asking me about this set at milton Keynes bowl <laughs> who who did they support and i was like john bon jovi thank you very much bon jovi <laughs> and, did, but did I, you win y- y- oh no you knew that <laughs> you've reminded me because chris packham beat me by two points and i lose sleep over that <laughs> Packham he's a lovely guy but he beat me and, I, and he was I answering questions get. about Bon Jovi yeah anyway moving on <laughs> we don't want to talk about that so we're going to finish uh, each episode hopefully with a recommendation of a live album you go first you go okay first. I'll go first this has been a staple for me for quite a while an artist I absolutely love Jeff Buckley um, fantastic voice fantastic musician um, and I'll mention him in our features going forward. Never managed to see him live. And he has a, an album, which is a collection of live tracks, actually, uh, from 95 to 96, called Mystery White Boy. And just incredible voice, incredible melodies. And I think I'm going to put a link to Last Goodbye, which is one of my uh, favourite tracks ever. So hope you enjoy that. Thank you for listening. Chris, say goodbye. Goodbye. And hopefully next time you hear us, we'll have a wonderful guest with us. We are excited to share with you our guest. We've got a guest, haven't we? Yes, we've got a guest. And it is... Oh, we can't say. That'll spoil it all. So thank you for listening. And uh, we'll put links to pictures, um, including uh, Chris's wonderful scrapbook, Uh, and to songs that we've referenced and of course last goodbye and we'd love you to get in touch and answer some of the questions as well so we'll speak to you soon goodbye goodbye thank you so much for joining us on this very first episode of the gig stories podcast and we'd like to send some love and thanks to james holt a wonderful musician who recorded the theme tune for us and also to our boys Gabe Payne and George Winters who created our amazing incidental music. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, boys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>